Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. The reading this morning is from Jelani Cobb, Martin Luther King's History Lessons. It's an essay in The New Yorker, January 17th, 2022. This holiday honoring Martin Luther King Jr. sees a nation embroiled in conflicts that would have looked numbingly familiar to him. As school curricula and online discourse threaten to narrow our understanding of both past and future, it's more important than ever to take stock of our history and its consequences, as King did in his speech more than half a century ago. In Montgomery, the civil rights leader spoke of the intransigent optimism that had led activists to fight for change in the face of skepticism about what could actually be achieved. President Biden struck a similar note in his statuary hall speech. For those who believe in democracy, he says, anything is possible, anything. This is true, and as the events of both March 25th, 1965 and January 6th, 2021 established, anything is possible right now, and that is as much cause for hope as it is for grave concern, end quote. In the reading this morning, Jelani Cobb challenges us to, quote, take stock of our history and its consequences. That's what we will attempt to do this morning. Spoken word artist Christopher D. Sims will explore his lived experience as a black man in America. And I will read from the words of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Some words of his that were first published in two places. The Stride Toward Freedom book, his first book about the Montgomery uh, story, published in 1958. And I will also be reading from that speech that Jelani Cobb mentions, King's words on the steps of the state capital of Montgomery, Alabama, March 25th, 1965. Ted Olson has composed some musical responses to the words of Christopher and of Dr. King. Nonviolence is directed against forces of evil rather than against persons who happen to be doing evil. It is evil that the nonviolent resistor seeks to defeat, not the persons victimized by evil. The nonviolent approach does not immediately change the heart of the oppressor, 
It first does something to the hearts and souls of those committed to it. It gives them new self-respect. It calls up resources of strength and courage that they did not know they had. Finally, it reaches the opponent and so stirs his conscience that reconciliation becomes a reality. Thank you, David. Thank you, Ted. And the, the band, the entire band, everybody here. It's good to be back in this pulpit, and it's definitely good to be a resident of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yay. 38th in Chicago, this is Dr. King standing at the place where George Floyd lost his life and his response, his thinking, his thoughts, and what's in his heart. They need to let that boy go, leave him alone. Is this United States I left many years ago? Who is letting this happen years later? Are black lives still not mattering? In the police officer's clutches, I'm afraid something really bad is going to happen, has happened. Where is his protection? Is this 1955 all over again? I cannot believe my eyes. Wait. Yes, I can. We in my time were hosed, hung, shot down, drugged by horses, humiliated in broad daylight and broad daylight. Lord, 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 where are the good Christians as this man is losing his life? What about the liberals? Where are the white folks during this tragedy? 55 years, 55 years ago, under the boots of an oppressive system, under Jim Crow laws, under the heavy, heavy weight of economic inequality, where we're still mistreated, we're the most defeated. My dream is not yet reached, completed. Jesus, we've gone backwards here, and I cannot hear this poor soul breathing anymore, breathing anymore. Is he breathing anymore? Who has decided that we do not deserve to breathe anymore? Who has decided that we do not deserve to breathe anymore? These are bad, bad times. Why is that young lady wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt? Justice does not work in this country. It's all been a lie. They've misled these poor black and brown people. This system is rotten, trash, trust, not trustworthy, evil. 93 years later, and I am watching George Floyd's body lay lifeless, lay lifeless. He's laying lifeless. I'm standing at 38th in Chicago. It's cold here. No souls here. No peace here. Only fear, only anger, strangers, danger, death, the downtrodden, the forgotten, the fallen. We keep falling. The Lord keeps calling. Equity keeps stalling, stalling. The parents of the dying dark children are bawling, are bawling. We are st still hating. Doesn't anyone see this as devastating? Doesn't anyone see that this is devastating? As I'm evaluating and waiting for someone to come to this black man's aid, I'm thinking I should have never come. 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 I should have stayed back in the past. The future looks dreadful. I'm standing on sacred ground now. Standing on sacred ground now. Now, George is now dead. This country is lost. Its spirit left a long time ago. The world changed only for a short period of time after 38th in Chicago. After what happened at 38th in Chicago. 
after what happened at 38th in Chicago. of Dr. Martin Luther King. There is a pressing need for a liberalism in the North which is truly liberal. A liberalism that firmly believes in integration in its own community as well as the Deep South. It is one thing to agree that the goal of integration is morally and legally right. It is another thing to commit oneself positively and actively in the ideal. The former is intellectual assent, the latter is actual belief. These are days that demand practices to match professions. This is no day to pay lip service to integration. We must pay life service to it. Agape love does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people or inequalities that people possess. It begins by loving others for their sakes. It is an entirely neighbor-regarding concern for others which discovers the neighbor in everyone it meets. Therefore, agape love makes no distinction between friend and enemy. It is directed toward both. If one loves an individual merely on account of his friendliness, he loves him for the sake of the benefits to be gained from the friendship rather than for the friend's own sake. Consequently, the best way to assure oneself that love is disinterested is to have love for the enemy neighbor from whom you can expect no good in return, but only hostility and persecution. Powerful words. Poem two, King in American Courtrooms listening to racist killers of black people. What do you think King would say in response to racist killers' crocodile tears? What would King be contemplating, evaluating, saying to himself? In these courtrooms, would you assume King would be crying, listening to racists lying, denying their supposed innocence? What prosecution would Dr. King bring? What historical content would he share with the courts that would elevate the prosecution? What kind of poetry and speech would he use to teach or reach the jurors who are deciding racist fates? As the judge would rise, look into Dr. King's eyes, what conviction would the judge see? Would the judge see years of struggle, marching, traveling, challenging the system, a man with an unstoppable vision, an unstoppable vision, an unstoppable vision? Peering into King's eyes, would the judge allow them, themselves to be taken on a ride into the country's years of failing black lives, failing black lives, failing black lives? Would they give in and go to Mississippi and Alabama with Dr. King to see what it has been, been like to be black all this time, to be black all this time? 
to be racially terrorized all this time. Sitting in a courtroom, standing in a courtroom with racists just like the ones Dr. King faced in his days would encourage the prophet to play history in his mind, find elements of hate and terror now and then in this era. Of course, he would be surprised looking to, into racist eyes in 2022. Wouldn't you? Especially if you fought so hard years ago to stop an illness, this madness. Imagine you being Dr. King and the world is waiting for you to respond, to react, to speak, to close an argument. Imagine how intense the courtroom would be. Imagine Dr. King's dream being free to take a shot at racists in courtrooms who have never ever cared about a black person. King would be a surgeon slicing and dicing every point the defense made because he would not have expected for us to be living like this today, like this today, like this today. Because Dr. King would not expect for us to be fighting the same fights he did in his days, in his days, in his days. King said these words from the steps of the Capitol after the march from Selma to Montgomery. Our whole campaign in Alabama has been centered around the right to vote. In focusing the attention of the nation and the world today on the flagrant denial of the right to vote, we are exposing the very origin, the root cause of racial segregation in the Southland. Racial segregation as a way of life did not come about as a natural resu result of hatred between the races immediately after the Civil War. There were no laws segregating the races then. And as the noted historian C. Van Woodward in his book, The Strange Career of Jim Crow, clearly points out, the segregation of the races was really a political stratagem employed by the emerging bourbon interests in the South to keep the Southern masses divided and Southern labor the cheapest in the land. You see, it was a simple thing to keep the poor white masses working for near starvation wages in the years that followed the Civil War. Why, if the poor white plantation or mill worker became dissatisfied with his low wages, the plantation or mill owner could merely threaten to fire him and hire former Negro slaves and pay him even less. 
Thus, the southern wage level was kept almost unbearably low. Toward the end of the Reconstruction era, something very significant happened. That is what was known as the populist movement. The leaders of this movement began awakening the poor white masses and the former Negro slaves to the fact that they were being fleeced by the emerging bourbon interests. Not only that, but they were uniting the Negroes and white masses into a voting bloc that threatened to drive the bourbon interests from the command post of political power in the South. To meet this threat, the Southern aristocracy began immediately to engineer this development of a segregated society. I want you to follow me through here because this is very important to see the roots of racism and the denial of the right to vote. Through their control of mass media, they revised the doctrines of white supremacy. They saturated the thinking of the poor white masses with it, thus clouding their minds to the real issue involved in the populist movement. They then directed the placement on the books of the South of laws that made it a crime for Negroes and whites to come together as equals at any level. And that did it. That crippled and eventually destroyed the populist movement of the 19th century. Sounds great this morning. Thank you all. King won the Nobel Peace Prize. King won the Nobel Peace Prize, and violent crime is on, is on the rise in urban areas carjackings, robberies, mass hysteria, mass hysteria, mass hysteria. King won the Nobel Peace Prize, and hate is on the rise. Hate has not died. Hate had three white guys chasing down Ahmaud Arbery. Later, he dies violently dies. Later he dies, violently dies. King won the Nobel Peace Prize, and Brianna didn't even get a chance to open her eyes. Wake up, stretch, see another day, see another day, see another day. King won the Nobel Peace Prize, and in the streets of Minneapolis, Chicago, Seattle, New York City, there was a collective uprise in the streets where we yelled, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. King won the Nobel Peace Prize, while deaths of young black and brown people guide the reporting of the nightly news. There is no peace in people of color blues. There is no peace in people of color blues. King won the Nobel Peace Prize, but where is the peace now? Where are the two fingers held high in our streets and the way we greet? After we meet in school buildings where there have been mass killings, at grocery stores where a black man breathes no more, breathes no more, at funerals, wakes, burials, employment lines, shelters, free food lines, when paying high gas and electric bills. Peace, no, no, I don't see peace, I don't feel peace, I don't see peace or feel peace. King won the Nobel Peace Prize, and yet we are still not wise with weapons of mass destruction still in production. We produce soldiers and warriors and robots and people killing cops and bodies drop after the sounds of peace-killing tools. 
Hell, I guess peace is not cool enough. Peace is not cool enough. We got to be gun-toting and tough and rough and hard and harsh and cold and big and bad and ready to die, even over lies, even over lies. King won the Nobel Peace Prize. And what does this country have to show for it years later? Dr. King wrote, let us march on ballot boxes, march on ballot boxes until race baiters disappear from the political arena. Let us march on ballot boxes until the salient misdeeds of bloodthirsty mobs will be transformed in the calculated good deeds of orderly citizens. Let us march on ballot boxes until the Wallaces of our nation tremble away in silence. Let us march on ballot boxes until we send to our city councils, state legislatures, and the United States Congress people who will not fear to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Let us march on ballot boxes until brotherhood becomes more than a meaningless word in an opening prayer, but the order of the day on every legislative agenda. The mere fact that we live in the United States means that we are caught in a network of inescapable mutuality. Therefore, no American can afford to be apathetic about the problem of racial justice. It is a problem that meets every person at their front door. The racial problem will be solved in America to the degree that every American considers himself personally confronted with it. Whether one lives in the heart of the Deep South or on the periphery of the North, the problem of injustice is their problem. It is their problem because it is America's problem. Ultimately, a great nation is a compassionate nation. No individual or nation can be great if it does not have a concern for the least of these.
Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.